0: We want to thank you for listening to audio from The Hill Church. We exist to glorify God by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives together. If you would like to learn more about our ministry or donate online, please visit us at thehillsd.org. This morning we have the privilege of having uh, another brother step into the pulpit this morning. I want to introduce you uh, to Paul, Paul Pitt III. Paul's originally from uh, the Los Angeles area, born in the Los Angeles area, but grew up uh, around the Rancho Cucamonga area. Paul has two sisters uh, and was raised by a wonderful family, which was key in introducing him to the Christian faith. And sometime around middle school, Paul, by God's grace, the Lord drawed him to himself and awakened his heart to the gospel. Football was always important for Paul. Uh, Paul was able to, football afforded him the opportunity to, receive a scholarship, and even play locally here at San Diego State. Kind of some of the connections that I had was able to meet Paul was through his ministry here on the campus at San Diego State. But following his uh, graduating from San Diego State in 2016, Paul uh, headed back to L.A. where he was able to pursue a degree at Master's Seminary. And he was able to serve uh, there, to be sharpened there, to be trained there. Um, And was even able to serve as a pastoral intern on staff at Grace Community Church there. And has recently graduated just a few weeks ago with an MDiv. So um, grateful to have him preach this morning. And one thing I learned from Paul the first time I met him, and the more I'm getting to know him, is his passion for the Lord Jesus, his passion for the local church and preaching. So you know me, you know that we hit it off well together and continually as we're praying see our hearts aligning more and more about what ministry looks like. So pray with this brother as his for his future in ministry and even ways that we might be able to partner with him in the future. We're excited to have him this morning, open God's word uh, for us this morning. So I want to encourage you to uh, lock in this morning, have your pens, notes ready, and he's going to walk us through a passage through Colossians. So Paul, grateful for you, brother. Right, you come on up.
1: I just want to publicly say thank you, Pastor Jimmy. Appreciate it. It's a blessing to be here. A warm gospel greetings to you all in Christ Jesus. As I said, it is a privilege and a joy to uh, be here with you. And though there is still some distance, I'm grateful for the unity that we have in Christ Jesus, that we are one in Him. Uh, so it is with great excitement and gratitude. Uh, that I stand before you today to open up the Word of God. So would you please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. And the title for this sermon will be The Incomparable Christ. The Incomparable Christ. Before I read the text, please pray with me one more time. Father God in heaven, with great humility and great joy, we come before you in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, our mediator, intercessor, and advocate, and great high priest, who we are grateful that through him we can draw near to you as Father. We can draw near with confidence and without fear to the throne of grace to receive your mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. And Father, as we open up your word, we come to you for help. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things. Incline our hearts to your word and not to selfish gain. Unite our hearts to fear your name and satisfy us with your truth. Open our eyes that we may behold the glory of Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. Through that, you can you further conform us to his image Lord, help us in the preaching of your word, in the hearing of your word, the reading of your word, the applying of your word so that we can live lives that glorify you. May Jesus Christ be exalted in his name. Amen. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20. The Scripture reads. making peace by the blood of his cross. So reads the word of the living God. We begin with a question. Is anything worth defending that does not captivate our hearts with delight? Is anything worth defending that does not captivate our hearts with delight? It's been said, happy are those who dare to courageously defend What they love. And C.S. Lewis, in his commentaries on the Psalms, said a man can't simply defend the truth, there must be time to feed on it. And with these thoughts, we journey back to around A.D. 62, where an apostle of Jesus Christ named Paul found himself in a prison cell on account of his ministry for Christ and faith in Christ. And it was here that a fellow disciple named Epaphras came to his prison cell and notified Paul of a young church that was struggling in the city of Colossae. This young church was facing false teaching that diminished the person and work of Jesus Christ. This false teaching propagated the notion that Jesus was prominent for the church but not preeminent over the church in all things. This young church was facing what we as a church still face today, compromising their full loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul responded with this inspired polemical letter, wherein he defends the truth and refutes error, but he does so in such a way that surpasses mere argumentation. The letter to the Colossians is indeed a refutation of error, but it's a declaration of beautiful truth because the truth is beautiful and his name is Jesus. The message of this letter is that Christ is the all-sufficient Savior because he is the all-supreme Lord. It articulates the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. That was a timely message for them, and it's a timeless message still relevant for us today. When I say sufficient, I mean that Jesus is all that is needed and necessary, enough for our salvation to sustain us in sanctification unto glory. When I say supreme or supremacy, it's that Jesus is over and above all things, superior in authority, glory, power, beauty, and worth. Paul is polemical against the false teaching in this letter because he's passionate about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if we understand the text before us that we've read in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, which begins the body of the letter, will understand the core message of the, the letter to the Colossians and the whole of life itself. This text answers the most important question that you will ever have to answer. Who is Jesus Christ? Four times it begins statements with saying he is And five times it it relates who Jesus is to all things. This text tells us of the real Jesus and a right view of Christ animates us to a right view of life and eternity. A true view of Christ casts down any notion of needing anything else for the security of your soul. Knowing who Jesus is changes everything. And a true knowledge of Christ gives rise to a real knowledge and an accurate knowledge of ourselves. And we read this text, and a quick observation will tell you it is highly theological and even cosmic, no doubt. But this high view of Christ should reach down to the daily ground of our lives, informing our worldview, anchoring our faith. In animating confident persistence as we follow Jesus day by day by day until glory. So, So to put it plainly and simply, Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 sets forth the supremacy of Jesus Christ so that we'll confidently cling to him in faith. I'll say that again. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 sets forth the supremacy of Jesus Christ so that we'll confidently cling to him in faith. To put it another way, this text teaches that Jesus is supreme over all things, central in everything, and sufficient for everyone who comes to him in faith. We'll look at this text with two headings, two points, the first being verses 15 through 17, Jesus' supremacy over creation. Jesus' supremacy over creation. So we begin with verse 15, which reads, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So when it says he is here. We know that Paul is referring to Jesus, the son of God. Because in verses 13 and 14, he speaks of the work of God the Father through the Son. He says, he, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. We see in verses 13 and 14 that Jesus is the son of God. He is king of the kingdom of God, and he is our redeemer through whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The verse 15 begins with Christ being the image of the invisible God. And what Paul is getting at here is that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Scripture tells us that God is spirit. He is invisible and immortal. But this text and many others tell us that the unseen God is made visible in the person of Jesus. He is the living word of God. The exact representation, revelation, and perfect expression of God, of the invisible God. And John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who who is at the Father's right side, he has made him known. Jesus makes God known. In John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, Jesus' disciple, Philip, asked him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And Jesus says, how can you ask me that question? He who has seen me has seen the Father. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of God, the exact imprint of his nature. But when we read here, he is the image of the invisible God. It's reminiscent of Genesis 1. This is Genesis language here because We know that Adam and Eve were made in the image of God according to his likeness. So it is true that we represent God as image bearers, all of us. And we image forth his glory in the world. But Jesus is the real thing. It's different. The image of God in us is a reflection or copy of the image of the invisible God in Jesus Christ. And this matters because, as I've said, every one of you, all of us, are image bearers of God. Regardless of your age, your size, your race, we are all image bearers of God, called to image forth his glory. But your only hope of wholeness as an image bearer is in Christ, the visible image of the invisible God. As an image bearer, you glorify God more and become a better you when you become more like Christ, the perfect image of God. He must increase, but I must decrease is not only for John the Baptist, but all of us. And that second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says we all as the new covenant community, the people of God beholding the, 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 the glory of the Lord with unveiled face are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this is from the Lord who is the spirit. As we behold the glory of King Jesus in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit molds and shapes us into his image from glory to glory. And saints, God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ, as Romans 8, says. This is why Christ being the image of the invisible God matters. Christ is supreme because he is the image of of the invisible God verse 15 continues Paul says the firstborn of all creation the firstborn of all creation now what this doesn't mean is that Jesus is a part of creation but made first that is a false teaching by errant groups this particular word firstborn here is not so much about chronology As it is a superior status that Jesus has. Jesus possesses the special status associated with the firstborn. Let's think back to the context in which this was written. When a a large family had a lot of children, all of the children did not receive the inheritance. The firstborn son did. But now we think biblically about this. Solomon was the firstborn of David, not because of his chronology, but he was the one who inherited the kingdom. He was a different son, had a different status from all other children of David. And this is the status that Christ has when it comes to all of creation. He is the firstborn. He has a superior status. And notice it says the firstborn of all creation. Jesus has supreme rank over everything. He is the father's heir. And as the Messiah, as Psalm 89 verse 27 says, God has made him the firstborn, making him the highest king of all the earth. Jesus is king. And all creation belongs to him, including you including me, including all of the universe, and even something like time in your life. Time belongs to Jesus. We are stewards of this life. He is the owner. So even something like time in your life must be stewarded with reference to the superior status of Jesus because he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, as we look at verses 16 and 17, these verses support the truth that has been put forth in verse 15, further denoting Jesus's supremacy over creation. So verse 16 begins with, for by him, all things were created. And then Paul goes on to say in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And we'll pause there. Paul says, for or because by him all things were created. By Jesus all things were created. He planned it. This is telling us that Jesus is the primary agent of creation. He is the source and the sphere through which creation happened. And it's all things, both physical and spiritual, are created by the means of Christ and in association with Christ. Growing up as a kid, I was always amazed at how so many of our goods, uh, you look on the back of it or on the tag or something, it would say, made by China. I don't think everything is made by China. This is crazy. But in an even greater sense, absolutely everything can be stamped made by Jesus. All things have been created by him. And that's you, me, every person that ever existed. Mount Everest, the ocean, the Grand Canyon, all the food you eat, the sun, the moon, Saturn with its 62 moons. By him, all these things were created. The Apostle Paul gives a further description. He says, in heaven and on earth. So in heaven, those are things like angels. Angels were created by him, both righteous and rebellious. That's why we see in the Gospel of Mark, for instance, as you as a church are surveying the Son of God. In the Gospel of Mark, we see angels come to Jesus' aid in the desert as he's being tempted by the devil and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. We see angels come to his aid in the Gospel of Mark when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. But you also see fallen angels shudder in fear before Jesus and declare him to be the Holy One of God and beg him to not send them into the abyss. It's because by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Earth, that's all encompassing. Every single thing on this planet has its ultimate origin in Christ. Even the most creative minds were created by him. And then Paul says visible and invisible. Every mountain, every waterfall, every person you've ever laid your eyes upon. Mother nature is not needed because we have creator Jesus. All things that are invisible, atoms, matter, gravity, the air you breathe, the emotions you feel like joy, your thoughts, all created by him. Verse 16 continues and Paul says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. What Paul is saying here is whether and whether angelic spiritual powers or earthly dictators, presidents or kings. Paul is stockpiling words here to just communicate that all things have as their creator and authoritative king, Jesus Christ. No matter who is president, Jesus remains king. In a very real sense, when we look at this all encompassing cosmic Christ, we align ourselves with the cosmos when we confess Jesus as Lord. For we both originate and depend upon Him. And saints, the more we know, love, and, and, and believe upon Jesus, the more wondrous His creation becomes. Because it comes from Christ. I want you to imagine going to a museum and you see a random beautiful work of art that has captured your eyes. It's beautiful and you don't know who made it, who the artist is, but it's beautiful. It's captivating. It's something delightful to look at. Now imagine that same artwork is made by a best friend. The experience, taking it in and all of its beauty, will just be a little different. The artwork comes to life the more you know the, the creator or the artist. When you love the artist or the creator, it begins to have greater value. And in a much greater way, we should look upon every beautiful flower We should look upon fellow human beings or stars in the sky, knowing that the one who crafted them is our Savior, Christ Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. Knowing Christ as supreme creator should move us to worship, looking around at creation, not merely taking in scenic sights, but going deeper in praising Christ. And it should trivialize sins, like objectifying lust, hate, or racism, because their creator is Christ, and all people need him, just like you. All things are made by him. Paul continues and says, all things were created through him. All things were created through Christ. And what Paul is getting at here. In the word created here, it's a different tense in the original. It's, it's, it communicates that this happened, this creation happened in a definite moment, but the results are ongoing. The purpose for which this was all created is still continues and is still a reality today. All things are through him and that can be communicated because of him. Jesus produced it. Jesus is the chief person instrument of all creation in the same way or or in a lesser way like a chef is the instrument through which the food comes to your plate cooked and ready to eat at a place called restaurants that we used to go to all the time (laughs) soon again though (laughs) Jesus is the instrument through which all things have been created and understand this because all things are made through him rest assured that he understands all things added on to the fact that christ our maker became man jesus took on flesh and sinlessly lived in this fallen world there's nothing you're unable to take to christ in prayer he is the most understanding person in the universe for through him all things were made. Paul continues and says, and for him, for Christ, all things have been made. This can also be translated towards him. Jesus is the purpose for it. In this portion of the text is getting at that Jesus is the goal of creation. All creation finds its reason for being in glorifying Jesus. Including you. Uh, Augustine in the early church said, you have created us in in a prayer. He said, you have created us toward yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Because we have been made for him and towards him in service to him, to please him. One commentator speaking on this preposition for, for him says that this word gives creation a sense of direction, like birds migrating or ivy vines seeking out sunlight or gray whales migrating north towards Alaska for food. The sense of direction for creation isn't mere self-preservation or for species survival, though. For him means Christ is the goal the highest good and glorifying him is the reason for our existence. And that includes the sun that shines all of the galaxies in the universe. And it also includes things in this life like sports, the job that you work at, whatever career field, your family marriage. It's all for him. You exist for Christ you exist for Christ let that set you free from having to conjure up purpose or to try to reason why you exist or for searching for meaning and the reasoning for your existence in this life you exist for Christ we are pointers he is the point We are worshipers, and He is the all-satisfying God whom we worship. Understand this, your purpose in life is not separate from the person of Christ. Your life is unwasted to the extent in which you live it for Jesus. And all you do, every sphere of life, display the supreme worth of Jesus Christ this is not philosophical nonsense or impractical realities. This is practical truth. All things are for him, including your eyes, what you see and what you put before them, including your hands and what you do with them, including your mouth and how you speak, how you eat, including things like friendship, how you interact with people and fellowship with fellow, with, with, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Romance, the work, all things are for him. We are to live in view of his throne, not to seek to establish our own. Where Christ is magnified, that is where our souls will be satisfied. We must see everything in creation as for Jesus. He is supreme. Paul continues in verse 17. He says, and he is before all things. This is getting at the eternality of Jesus. From everlasting to everlasting, Jesus is God. It's why, with the 2,000 year gap in which they walked on the earth, Jesus in John 8 58 can say, Before Abraham, I am. Because he is the one who was, who is, and is to come. Jesus Christ had no beginning, he is absolute reality. He is before all. Things. In the beginning was the Word, the living Word, Jesus Christ. And he was with God and He was God. Paul continues in verse 17 and says, And in him all things hold together. And this is getting at the fact that Jesus is not only creator, but he's the sustainer of everything. Hebrews 1 3 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he does this ever so wisely, as Colossians 2.3 says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Planets stay in orbit. Seasons, fall, summer, spring, winter, continue to come and go because Jesus holds all things together. And this includes your life. He holds all of it together. Your salvation Nothing will snatch you out of his hands. Your ongoing sanctification, he will finish the good work he started in you. The tragedies in your life, the disappointments, the delays, life during a pandemic. It, can, it shows that we're not in control, but that's a good thing because our Savior is. Understand this, no one has ever cared for you like Jesus. is a classic hymn by that title. And the chorus goes like this. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. No other friend so kind as he. No one could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. This all supreme Christ, the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were made. This all supreme cosmic Christ is also a caring shepherd who will not lose his sheep. So by way of application, we've seen the supremacy of Christ over creation in these three verses. I want to encourage you to trust and worship this Christ, believe his promises, and understand that when you worship well, you'll live wisely. Worship is immensely practical. Fix your eyes on Jesus and his supremacy Let Christ's supremacy over creation inform your worldview, rest your soul, and give you reason to fight sin. I'm reminded of Kanye West, who released his album last year entitled Jesus is King. And regardless of what you think of him, he was asked in an interview, are you a Christian artist now? To which he responded, I'm a Christian everything. I just want to encourage you in light of the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all creation, may you be a Christian everything, in all spheres and sectors of your life. These verses give foundation to Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also shall appear with him in glory. This all supreme Christ is the object of our faith, and it changes everything. So, remembering that this text sets forth the supremacy of Christ so that we'll confidently cling to him in faith, we've seen Jesus' supremacy over creation. Now we come to verses 18 through 20, Jesus' supremacy over the church. Jesus' supremacy over the church. So we come to verse 18, which reads, And he is the head of the body, the church. This transition here in the text shows that there's really no sacred and secular divide. Because Christ is supreme over all things without rival or equal. He's supreme over creation, and he's also supreme and superior over the first fruits of the new creation being the redeemed, the church. And he's superior as the head. He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the ultimate authority of the church. That position belongs to no pope nor any pastor. Jesus is the chief shepherd and Lord of the church. And he leads through his authoritative word and spirit. But his superiority as the head does not cancel out our union with him. For we are his body, as the text says. The church is the very body of Christ. And take it seriously when scripture says that we are the body of Christ. Because it means we are in union with him. We are the very bride of Christ. And he nourishes and cherishes us. He laid down his life for us. He supplies us with the life that we need. He exercises control and direction. And we can't even exist without our head. And Christ, get this, will not cut you off, struggling Christian. He will not cut you off in the same way that you wouldn't cut off a jammed finger. For you are a part of his body. We are the body of Christ. And he is the head. Let us submit to his headship, obey his direction, and perform his work. And because Christ is the head of the church, we proclaim him. As Colossians 128 says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He is the message and he is the goal. We want to see people come to Christ and become more like Christ, serving his people and glorifying him as we live our lives together, proclaiming the gospel. Jesus is the head of the church and we are his body. The scripture continues and says he is the beginning. That means he's the source, the originator, the pioneer of the church. It began with his resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the beginning. As Revelations 22 verse 13 says, he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The scripture continues and says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And this gets at the fact that Jesus has first place and a superior rank in resurrected glory. He, he raised from the dead and he will have a superior rank forever in the new heavens and new earth amidst the people of God. But towards the end of verse 18, this is getting towards the reason. This is the end of it all. Jesus being supreme over creation, all things by Him, through Him, for Him. He's the head of the church. He's firstborn from the dead, the beginning. It's all towards this, that in everything, He might be preeminent. Jesus is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the resurrected Savior and the head of the church to the end of being purely and eternally preeminent supreme, over and above everything. Jesus is and will be first above all for all time. And, and all is right when Christ is lifted up and when Christ is central. In eternal glory, we will not loathe the preeminence of Jesus. This will be our very joy, our highest joy. Christ will be preeminent in the new heavens and new earth. But he now must be preeminent in every sermon, in every Bible study, in every bit of fellowship, in all of our counseling, in our prayers, in our evangelism. Jesus must be preeminent in the church and in every expression of the church in our local communities. He must be preeminent. And this begs the question as well. Is Jesus preeminent and supreme in your life? Oh, Christian, is he preeminent and supreme in your life? Is he first in your life with regards to your faith, how you spend your time in the loves and affections of your heart, your identity, your mind and what you think about in your relationships, and your wallet, in your view of the world, in your view of eternity? The position of preeminence belongs to Christ alone. May he be preeminent in your life. Verses 19 through 20 give further reason for Jesus' preeminence. Verses 19, because Jesus is God with us. In verse 20, because in Jesus, God is for us. But first we look at verse 19. It says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's this kid's movie from the 90s where this scientist. Type character asks, do you think God stays in heaven because he too fears what he created? In this scripture and many others tell us a resounding no. For one, God is sovereign, almighty, and has authority over everything. He doesn't fear anything. But God has come down. The word was made flesh, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God with us, truly God and truly man, two natures, one person. The fullness of the godhead was pleased to dwell in Jesus. This text tells us. 1 Corinthians 4:6 makes plain that we see the glory of God in the face of Christ, and the Holy Spirit bears witness to the glory of Christ. H.B. Charles said this, everything that makes God God, found its home in Jesus. In 1 Kings 8, verse 27, Solomon, with reference to the temple that he built for God and for the nation of Israel, he asked this question, How can God dwell on earth? The highest of heavens cannot contain you. It's a good question. It's appropriate. But this verse tells us, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And Colossians 2.9 tells us, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is the God man. See, Christ is supreme. He is sufficient. He is preeminent because he is God with us in full. Emmanuel. And we lack nothing with Christ, our Lord and our God. Coming to verse 20. It reads, and through him. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Jesus, God is for us. And this verse is telling us that God, through Christ, reconciled all things, people who believe in, in creation itself, to himself. And Christ is that Redeemer. He is the Reconciler. He is the one Mediator between God and man. And it's so beautiful. It's altogether lovely that the offended party took the initiative to reconcile us to Himself while we were still sinners. This is the love of Jesus that surpasses all understanding apart from the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And the means through which Christ brought about this reconciliation is even more glorious. Just for one, to think about reconciliation, to be reconciled, it means that we're restored to God relationally when enemies become friends through a mediator. And that mediator is Christ. And the means through which he did it, it's a bloody surprise here in the text. By way of a Roman cross Notice the possessive pronoun here in, in, in the text. It says making peace by the blood of his cross, his cross. John ten eighteen, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. This text is showing us that the all supreme creator and king. Humbled himself to the point of death upon a cross, dying for his own, his body and his bride. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities that we may forever bear his righteousness and be at peace with God. And it's through the blood of a cross. Jesus, he who created our veins filled with blood, took on flesh and shed blood to wash away our sins. This is love. The supreme Christ who took a cross to seek and save the lost and bring us to himself peacefully in glory. The Supreme Christ took a cross. This is wondrous and beyond anything we can ever fathom. Truly, God's ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. It's higher, it's better and far more glorious when we look at the gospel and redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, if you were here today, if you were listening today and you do not know the the Lord Jesus Christ... Come to Him today, see His reconciling work. Colossians one twenty one through twenty three applies the supremacy of Christ to us individually and says that apart from Jesus we are alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. You are a sinner by nature and by choice. But God in his love and his grace and his infinite wisdom sent his son, the God man who lived the life we can never live and died a substitutionary atoning death, the death we deserve to die. And Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, paid in full. And the third day he rose again in victory and vindication because he is the son of God. He is the savior. And He bids you to come, to repent of your sin, to turn away from sin, and any idea of righteousness of your own. Come to Christ. Believe upon Him. Trust in His person and work, and you shall be saved. Reconciled to God by the work of Christ. You'll be presented before God as holy, blameless, and above reproach. And you may say, how can I be holy? I'm so unholy. I'm so worthy of blame. All of the unholiness, all of the blame was nailed to the cross. It's through the cross of Christ, through the work of Christ, that we have forgiveness come to Christ today. The the gates of mercy are wide open. This all supreme Christ that we see in the scriptures described himself in Matthew 11 as gentle and lowly in heart. He is approachable and accessible and he bids you to come. He says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. He has completed the reconciliation work. Come to him. And even on a cosmic level, speaking of all creation, Jesus' death and resurrection brought peace through restoring creation to its appropriate place in order. Submission to him. Because Jesus is Lord. So we see in this text that Jesus is God with us and God for us, supreme over creation and the church. He who created all things has made it so that all things will be made right again. There's a new heaven and new earth coming and the church will see the king in his beauty. This is Jesus's supremacy and superiority over the church. My way of application I encourage you to read Colossians 2.19. And may we do this, hold fast to our head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grow with the growth that's from God. Let's grow with the growth from God. Let's grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ by holding fast to him. And we do this by Colossians 3.16, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And enjoying gospel fellowship around His Word, and in our commitment to Christ, let us be committed to the Church that he is head over to the to, 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 to the local expression of it here at the Hill church, where Christ remains supreme and preeminent. He is God with us and God for us. so my beloved believers, my fellow. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this text has set forth the supremacy of Christ over everything so that we confidently cling to Him in faith. Whether you come to Christ in faith today or whether you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, Jesus is our all sufficient Savior because He is the all supreme Lord. Francis James Grimke said this, The soul who finds Jesus Christ, who finds him truly, has found the solution to all his problems, both here and hereafter, in time and in eternity. It's because Jesus is supreme over all things, central in everything, and sufficient for all who come to him in faith. Let us press on to know the Lord. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the glory, the supremacy, the beauty, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Help us to continue in the faith in his name. Amen.